Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Lawmakers are talking about changes to gun laws following several mass shootings, including one in which 19 children were killed. But what kind of changes might address that in many mass shootings, most guns are legally obtained? So we do need to do more, and there's much room for it. But instead of them passing messaging bills like they're doing in the House, what we ought to do is try to work together to find common ground. I'm Chris Foster. Johnny Depp walks away the winner in his defamation case against his ex-wife. What's next? Johnny Depp isn't going to chase her around for $10 million or $15 million. And uh, since she owes him a lot more than he owes her, what they'll probably end up doing is saying, look, I'm not going to appeal, but I'm also not going to bother you anymore. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. As our representatives in Congress debate future changes to gun laws, the reality is the people who committed the most recent mass shootings got their firearms legally. On Wednesday, there was yet another mass shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Police Chief Wendell Franklin said the shooter killed himself after killing four others, including a doctor who recently performed back surgery on him. On June the 1st, Mr. Lewis purchased a semi-automatic rifle from a local gun store. Three days earlier, he bought a handgun at a pawn shop. The Buffalo supermarket shooter bought his firearms legally as well, but New York Governor Kathy Hochul added, You can go literally across the border to Pennsylvania and buy a magazine with 30 bullets in it. In Uvalde, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety also confirmed the shooter's legal weapons purchases. So what do you do when, in many cases, the weapons are purchased legally? While Republican senators are now talking to Democratic senators quietly, the House is less quiet. With California Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell asking Republicans Thursday why they even bothered to show up that day. If you're not here for the children, why don't you go to the funeral of the killer? Because that's the only place where the killer is being celebrated. Texas Republican Congressman Louis Gohmert shot back. To infer by rhetorical supposed questions, who are you here for? We must be here for the gunman is an outrage. How dare you? Capping off the week thus far in the gun debate, President Biden addressed the country Thursday night, calling for Congress to act, saying executive orders can only go so far. I've been in this fight for a long time. I know how hard it is, but I'll never give up. And if Congress fails, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. I believe the majority of you will act to turn your outrage into making this issue central to your vote. Enough, enough, enough. And when it comes to changing gun laws, that is up to Congress. Well, I think there needs to be a, a conversation between the parties, and we need to look and analyze the problem of what's going on and try to fix it. Rand Paul is a Republican senator from Kentucky. I think 
part of me believes that there are some answers in government, and part of me thinks that there are some things that are beyond, you know, governmental control. For example, if you look at uh, the leading cause of poverty in our country, it's having children before you're married. But it's very difficult to have a law passed to make sure that people wait to have children. The same way we have uh, many mentally ill, sick, homicidal, suicidal slash teenagers and, you know, trying to ferret out who are the ones that are going to commit violence before they do is hard. But I think the ones that are committing crimes in advance, we absolutely should prosecute. I think the Parkland shooter committed, some people said, as many as 17 felonies. The police basically never did much of anything to him. The recent case in New York, uh, the guy said he was going to kill his classmates and commit suicide. And he said he was joking. They let him go. I think if you say something like that, prosecute him. Prosecute him for terroristic threatening. He'll have his day in court and you take his right to own guns away. So we have laws. I think it's mainly we just haven't been effectively applying the laws. We know Senator Cornyn in Texas, Republican, is talking to Democrats in the Senate. Um, there is an effort, it appears, to try and come up with something that at least 10 Republicans could back that would address firearms. Where do you think this effort ends up, and what role do you think you might might play? Well, I think there can be uh, and is and, and needs to be a room for conversation to try to stop this, but it needs to be practically oriented. It needs to look at the situations of what has happened and see what type of legislation would change that. And, you know, the House looks like they don't really care anything about the circumstances or passing anything. They passed something to limit magazine size. That has nothing to do with these. And actually, if you look at the facts on what it takes to take down an assailant, the average policeman takes 4.7 bullets to take down an assailant. If you're asleep in your home, you're not a policeman and you're not that good a shot, in all likelihood, you're going to need more than 4.7 bullets to take down an assailant. We had a recent murder in Kentucky uh, where a daughter was murdered and the father came out, fired 11 times, but wasn't able to hit the assailant. So the thing is, is that people who want to limit magazine size, it's a non-starter. People who want to ban certain types of guns, non-starter. But if you want to look at ways to try to prevent people who are sending signals that they are potential killers and are committing crimes in advance, if you want to look at ways of prosecuting them, if you want to prosecute people who are felons already who are trying to buy guns illegally, we had several thousand of those a couple of years ago, and I think they prosecuted like nine out of several thousand. So we do need to do more, and there's much room for it. But instead of them passing messaging bills like they're doing in the House, what we ought to do is try to work together to find common ground. Senator, what about cases in which it's not so clear, you know, where you do maybe have an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old or somebody who maybe isn't so mentally ill or, or isn't necessarily showing it like that, who, who doesn't commit anything or do anything that is prosecutable, um, and yet you, you have maybe somebody who seems like they're disturbed or having issues. We've seen stories of, of shootings being thwarted, of people being arrested, of of high schoolers or, or others being um, confronted by law enforcement because somebody said something. But sometimes you have those situations where it's not like an offense, but maybe the kid is acting in a way where he needs help. I mean, is that one of those things where you're saying that's not a law you can pass to address that? What I'm saying is, is that people who are committing crimes in advance need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and have their gun rights taken away in a proceeding. For 
conservatives, it's never been about the loss of gun rights. It's about whether or not it's done through a constitutional court proceeding where you have a lawyer and a judge, you have representation, there's a discussion, debate, and then there's a ruling. Um, if it's done that way, we're not opposed to it. People are felons, are not allowed to own guns, and I don't think any conservative Republicans are opposed to that. Are there situations that won't quite rise to that level? Yeah, but the situations that don't quite rise to that level, maybe there needs to be more aggressive intervention in the um, circumstances of the household, in where the child is, and if it's juvenile. Uh, you know, there are juveniles that maybe you, you can't convict of a felony, but can be uh, detained in some kind of uh, situation, either as a threat to themselves or others, or for breaking a lot of other rules. There are quite a few of these cases. There are threats in advance, and a threat is a felony. If you threaten to kill someone, it is a felony, and we shouldn't let any of that go. We should prosecute it to the fullest. I'm convinced, thoroughly convinced, the Parkland shooting could have been stopped if police had more aggressively prosecuted that kid. Senator, I know we don't have a, a lot of time with you, so I want to I want to move to Ukraine. I know you were you really made headlines with your pushback on the forty billion dollars that Congress approved to send to Ukraine. I think, if I'm correct, it was over getting some oversight on on that um, how that money was spent. We know now we're sending HIMARS, advanced rocket launcher systems. We've sent howitzers. Uh, we've heard about you know timelines for training Ukrainians on these weapons. I've heard, you know. The, both sides, right? Mostly on social media. Why are we engaging Russia like this by proxy, you know, sending these weapons? And then you hear Ukrainians say, you know, really, you think things could escalate even more? It's it's done. You know, Mariupol, Bucha, a slaughter, you know, please help us. I know you have thoughts as you watch both sides of, of that. For me, it's primarily about uh, fiscal conservatism and fiscal responsibility. We don't have $40 billion to give them. So the $40 billion had to be borrowed. When we borrow it, the Federal Reserve prints it up, and that creates more inflation. Or we borrow it from countries like China. It doesn't make sense to borrow money from China and send it to Ukraine. It doesn't make us stronger or the cause freedom stronger. I have great sympathy for the Ukrainian cause, but that would be sort of like telling a person who is you know, deep in hole and in danger of not being able to feed their family, they say, well, there are people poorer than me, and I think I'm going to go to the bank and borrow $1,000 and give it to homeless people, even though I might become homeless because of this irresponsibility. So, no, having sympathy for a cause doesn't mean you are you can be a profligate spender or that you can be irresponsible. So, no, we don't have any money to give to Ukraine. We have rampant inflation across the land. We've got people who can't afford to fill up their, their uh, cars and trucks now. We have widespread inflation across all items for food. We have shelves where we don't even have baby formula, for goodness sakes. And people want to ship our, our money that we have to borrow. We want to ship borrowed money to Ukraine. It, it really actually makes no fiscal sense at all. A um, little bit of politics before I let you go. We know the president's uh, spokespeople have been talking about Republicans generally now as ultra MAGA, really criticizing uh, Republican Senator Rick Scott's plan for the economy, you know, saying Republicans basically have nothing and I guess sort of mockingly saying and asking, you know, what's the alternative? Um, I know some Republicans say, hey, we're not the ones in power. You guys are. We don't we don't need to have the elaborate plans. But my understanding is you you do have a plan. Yeah, my plan is we should balance our budget. I mean, if you want to get rid of inflation, quit borrowing so much. Quit digging the hole deeper. 
And I think this is a plan shared by most Americans. If you ask most Americans, should we borrow money to do crazy uh, research like studying whether or not if you take a selfie of yourself smiling and you look at it later, does that make you happy? When we do research that costs millions of dollars studying the mating call of the male Panamanian frog to see if it's different for the country frogs than it is for the sea frogs. When we spend millions of dollars studying Japanese quail to see if they're more sexually promiscuous on cocaine, I think American taxpayers see that and they're, they're outraged by it and they don't want more of it. They want less of it and they want a smaller, more frugal government. And that's what I'm offering. Balance the budget over five years. And I think you'd see strength in our country and in our marketplace and a booming economy like you haven't seen in a long time. Is that is that what's called the pennies plan or, or am I getting ahead of you here? As we ensued with bigger and bigger spending with the pandemic bailouts, it no longer became feasible to do a freeze or even a penny plan. This year's budget that I will introduce in the next week in Washington will be a six-penny plan. We would then get to a point where as as the economy grew, um, we wouldn't be under so much pressure to cut services and to cut um, uh, various functions of government that people actually want. You know, we don't have enough money for Medicare and uh, Social Security. Both of them are trillions of dollars in the hole. And we do need to think of shoring these uh, programs up before we get uh, too enthusiastic about sending money overseas. One more for you. You are going to face former state lawmaker Charles Booker this fall, um, the Democratic nominee for Senate. He's made an ad, as you know, wearing a noose, saying you held up a federal anti-lynching law several years ago. Um, we know that you went on to back and help create the Emmett Till anti-lynching law, and you worked with Democratic Senator Cory Booker on that. What do you make of this and, and your opponent's tactics here? You know, it kind of reminds me of Jesse Smollett, you know, sort of an attention-getting hoax based on a lie. He says, I blocked something from becoming a law. Well, I'm actually a co-sponsor of the Emmett Till anti-lynching law. I was also co uh, the original author of the Marie Thompson anti-lynching law, but I wanted to get it done right. So we worked with the authors, got the language changed, and got it passed. And so for him to, you know, think he's just small and a noose on his head, I mean, that's sort of bizarre, and I think really demeaning to those who've lost their lives. Senator Rand Paul, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. Johnny Depp wins his defamation case against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. The jury of seven in Virginia not believing her claims of abuse made publicly in the Washington Post and again in court. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. The judge in the case, Penny Azkarate. As against Amber Heard, we, the jury, award compensatory damages in the amount of $10 million. Plus punitive damages of $5 million that are capped in this case at 350000 Depp testified about the accusations. That is not a thing that anyone is going to just put on your back for a short period of time. I will live with that for the rest of my life. Don't call me a liar. It's all I said. Just don't call me a liar. Amber Heard spent a lot of time on the stand herself, and the jury apparently was not convinced. 
She calls the verdict a setback for women. Depp says in a statement, truth never perishes. I was not surprised by the verdict at all. What I was surprised about was basically the, the trial itself and the evidence that was adduced therefrom. John Spillboard is a criminal defense attorney. Johnny Depp had a really tough job because Johnny Depp's job was to prove a negative. In other words, his job was to prove that something didn't happen. Specifically, he, Johnny Depp had to prove that he did not sexually or physically abuse Amber Heard. And while it sounds easy to prove a negative, it sounds easy to, to say I didn't do something, it really, from a legal standpoint, is not easy to do. And the way Johnny Depp did that, the way he accomplished that, was to prove that Amber Heard was lying. And his team did that masterfully. They had ample evidence to demonstrate that to the jury. They were ultimately successful. So uh, th that made the, the verdict not surprising at all. Part of what I can't get my head around here with with all of this is who benefits. If if Amber Heard was lying about being abused the whole time, what benefit other than it's, unless it's just marital vindictiveness, ex-marital vindictiveness, other than that, mm -hmm. what benefit does she get by claiming the abuse? What benefit does he get if he did abuse her by bringing this case that it's going to that's going to drag him through the mud? OK, so you raise a couple of really good questions. The, as far as I can tell, Amber Heard, what she did was attempt to elevate her status in Hollywood by hitching her wagon to the Me Too star, for lack of a better word. Right. She had a movie coming out. She had, you know, some degree of success, but certainly not to the level of Johnny Depp, certainly not to the level of a lot of other people in Hollywood. Um, you know, we were coming off the frenzy, the Me Too frenzy, which is what this movement was when it first came about. And it was a perfect storm of an opportunity for her to try to make her name better in Hollywood and attach herself to a cause that, its underpinnings have some good merit and, and soundness to it, but it really has been taken uh, far too far. Johnny Depp, on the other hand, um, the, the best that I can tell him, and I understand why he wanted to bring this case to restore his name, which is very important. It reminds me of a saying my grandfather used to have, which is a thief will rob you, but a liar will hang you. And Johnny Depp had basically said, enough is enough. I didn't do these things. And even though he knew, he had to have known, Chris, that he was going to have to just open himself up and give the public more information, more personal information about himself that we never would have known and didn't need to know. But he had to do that in order to get where he ultimately got. So it was worth it to him. It was worth it to him to almost, you know, lay himself bare in order to clear his name and his character. And that's what defamation cases are all about. It's defamation of character. That's the full name of the cause of action. It's not defamation of anything else. It's defamation of who you are, your character. And Johnny Depp had to do that math and figured this is the only only choice I have. And, and he was right. This was a case that had a lot of people taking sides, um, for better or worse. Some some opinions based on facts, some not. You had people saying, look, Amber Heard is just a liar. You had people saying there's another case of a woman being treated unfairly and a man getting away with abuse. Have you been following any of the social media discourse, for lack of a better word? And what, if anything, are, are, have people just been getting wrong? So I have been following, and I was almost pleasantly surprised to see that Johnny Depp seemed to have won in the court of public opinion 
very early on in this case. And I wasn't convinced that that was going to happen. To be honest with you, I wasn't. But it did. And I don't think Johnny Depp was winning because he is Johnny Depp. And you can call him a powerful man. I get that. He's a celebrity, but he's not all powerful. And Amber Heard's take on this is, well, I lost because Johnny Depp is a powerful man. No, that's not it. Because I watched every single day of this trial. She lost because she was dishonest. And that was illustrated throughout this trial. And thankfully, in the court of public opinion and in the court of law, people were not willing to give her a pass simply because she's a woman claiming abuse because the very important fact here is that's not going to fly nor should it have ever flown if it ever has if you're telling the truth and you're a victim of abuse you're one thing if you are lying about being a victim of abuse you do not deserve the deference uh, of of a jury or of our legal system because our legal system does not and should not protect people who lie in any forum, not just in the Me Too movement, not just when it comes to sexual abuse, in any forum, we do not protect liars, nor should we. Is this a bit of a unicorn case because of because of the fame involved? Is there any chance that this could be replicated in other abuse cases? In my practice, for example, when you handle divorces or family court cases, I see this every day, but it's on a much smaller level in that nobody knows who the parties are. When I walk into family court and I have uh, a wife or a girlfriend who's claiming that her husband or her boyfriend abused her and she's got her hand out for an order of protection and she 99% of the time will get one before a hearing, that nobody knows about that. that. That's a common occurrence. And also 99% of the time, if you're representing the person who's being accused, he or she will look at you and say, but I didn't do it. I mean, exactly the same scenario, but we don't have the paparazzi pictures to prove it wrong. We don't oftentimes have the evidence to demonstrate the negative that it didn't happen. So it becomes on this level becomes almost standard operating procedure that you can walk into a court, say you were abused, get your order of protection, get somebody kicked out of their home. That's how it works. And now you you the, the playing field is no longer even. Now the person with that piece of paper has the advantage and they can use it as such. And there's no quick or easy way to stop that from happening. But maybe in the back of normal people's minds, non-celebrity minds, judges and attorneys and parties will will bear this in mind and say, well, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't just automatically believe without asking a few questions first. And that could be a good thing. Just a few questions first. Uh, Her legal team plans to appeal. Um, what would the possible grounds for a successful appeal be? Whether or not you see any, what what, what could they claim? I think Amber Heard will be wasting her money if she appeals. But the appeal will always go toward whether there was some legal discrepancy that the judge ruled on the wrong way. And what we saw this judge do, and she was a pretty good judge, there was a lot of objections in the course of the trial, and she would rule one way or the other. So uh, one of the basis for appeal might be, you know, for one or 10 or 100 of those legal rulings on the objections, perhaps the judge got it wrong, meaning maybe information came in to the trial that shouldn't have, or maybe information uh, was suppressed and did not get entered into evidence, and it should have. Those are typically some of the bigger 
um, more common issues on appeal. But let me say, let me also say this, just sort of like backroom brass tacks, how this works in real life. She's now got a judgment against her for $15 million. Johnny Depp will have a judgment against him for $2 million, which if you think about it this way, this isn't funny, but I thought about it. Like she wanted, Amber Heard wanted $100 million. The jury gave her $2 million. That's the equivalent of giving her two cents on the dollar. That's what the jury thought about her counterclaim for what that's worth. What's her money? What is her money? What's her money for? Like why, why, why is she awarded anything? Because on one of the counts of her counterclaim, the jury found that um, Johnny Depp's previous lawyer had either he said something in a publication or he tweeted something that was untrue about Amber and her friends. And so this look, it shows that the jury went through all of the allegations. They went through all of the jury forms very carefully and found that that one statement made by Johnny Depp's lawyer was on Johnny Depp's behalf and that it wasn't true. So they basically gave her a nominal amount compared to what she wanted. But no money is going to change hands because in a case like this, Johnny Depp isn't going to chase her around for 10 million or 15 million dollars. And uh, since she owes him a lot more than he owes her, what they'll probably end up doing is saying, look, I'm not going to appeal, but I'm also not going to bother you anymore. And this case will die on the vine. There's no point in appealing if Johnny Depp isn't going to go after her for the money. And I seriously doubt he's going after her for a dime. That wasn't what the case was about. He got what he wanted. He got what he wanted before the jury came back. Yeah. I mean, so he gets 10 million um, compensatory, 5 million punitive damages. The judge says, well, that's cap. The punitive damages at 350,000. So let's call it 10 million. Um, What happens in a case like this, even if it's a much smaller amount, if the, what happens if the defendant, not the defendant, but what happens if, if the loser in the case just can't pay? What if she doesn't right. have $10 million laying around? So if the loser in the case can't pay, then then she, in this case, for example, she'd have a judgment uh, against her that can be executed at some point in the future if she can pay, which also sidebar. I think Amber Heard is going to be hard pressed to get hired again. It's going to be uh, who would hire her tomorrow? I dare say nobody. Maybe in a few years from now, if this dies down, maybe she'll get some more work. So her future prospects for income are going to be, I think, very different than they were before this trial. But she could also file for bankruptcy. Celebrities have done that before, and that would wipe away the judgment. So it really and people, you know, again, take this out of the celebrity realm. People who get judgments against other people think that it's uh, an automatic payday. It is far from it. Uh, Jonas Philbor, criminal defense attorney. Thank you very much for talking to us today. Uh, It was my pleasure. This was a fascinating trial, and I really uh, appreciate speaking with you about it. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it on demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. 
A police officer in New York has a new pet after rescuing a kitten that had gotten stuck under the hood of a car. Last week, a caller reported that a kitten had gotten stuck between the car's engine and the firewall, and the town of Ramapo Police Department in Rockland County, New York, documented the incident. In a Facebook post, the department said the black and white kitten was freed by officers with the car's jack and unhurt. Officer Christine Winter was one of the first responders who was at the scene, and she's given the kitten a forever home. She says her new pet is four weeks old, and she has named him Otto. It's not the first time Winter has come to the aid of an animal that needed it. Otto joins her other cat, Ella, who is also a rescue. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. Tammy What's on your mind? The most unlikeliest of places continues to signal a possible inflection point in the left's ugly woke culture war against our nation. Netflix, the streaming service, had gained a reputation for being the king of woke. Like many other American companies, they seemed more concerned with genuflecting to leftist activists and placating them by focusing on Democrat-approved political programming. First, it was Disney, which in March embarked on a disastrous adventure by taking a very public stand in woke politics as they pledged action to defeat a Florida bill meant to empower parents. Their stock crashed and Americans of all stripes made clear their significant disgust with the house that Mickey built. Then in April, Netflix announced a loss of 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of 2022, and their stock crashed 37% in one day. Talk about a wake-up call. Upon news of the subscriber and stock plunge, Elon Musk tweeted what everyone was thinking, quote, the woke mind virus is making Netflix unwatchable. The reasons for the Disney and Netflix disasters are varied, but both companies have publicly displayed a disturbing shift into woke politics. When an economy gets tight and people have to make choices about where they spend money, the first to be cut will be companies who have taken for granted and insulted American consumers for far too long. On top of that, Netflix's troubles may just be starting. CBS News reports that Netflix acknowledged its problems are deep-rooted by projecting a loss of another 2 million subscribers during the April-June period. That deep-rootedness is, in part, the woke activists they've hired and going on a woke programming binge. But all of that seems to be changing. It appears leadership at the streaming service have suddenly realized what the left has been feeding them is not health food. It's cyanide. Netflix has acted to save itself, and that means quickly and definitively ending its love affair with wokeism by laying off at least 150 employees they had previously hired to work on woke programming and issued a memo to its staff rebuking censorship. The Daily Mail reported, quote, Netflix announced a new crackdown on woke staff who try to interfere in shows they deem harmful or which leave viewers feeling unsafe. It wasn't just leftist personnel who were shown the door. A whole lineup of woke programming met its end as well, the most famous of which is Meghan Markle's doomed animation Pearl, about a socially conscious girl said to have been based on Meghan herself. Other scrapped projects included Anti-Racist Baby and Stamped. Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, two adaptations by critical race theory expert Dr. Ebram X. Kendi reported the Daily Mail. 
all gone because it finally became apparent that no one wants what the left is selling, no one is buying the denigration of America, and everyone rejects this disgusting effort to train Americans, especially children, to think as racists and with racist stereotypes. At least Netflix now seems to understand or accept just how wrong they were. But it's not a stretch to recognize if their subscriber base and stock hadn't taken a hit. None of these changes would have happened. Mostly, this is a reminder to make sure your voice is heard when it comes to what stocks are in your portfolio, what you subscribe to, and what efforts you support. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.